All right, let's go ahead and stand as we get started tonight. Everybody doing okay? Yeah, glad you came out tonight. I know we got a lot of folks headed out, and if you stuck around, uh, I would give you a word of advice. Don't go to the store if you can help it, because uh, tis a season to be crowded and grumpy. So uh, anyway, now we're glad that you're here. Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're going to open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. We want to continue. I, this has been a full week of vi busy visiting people, and we've got a lot of folks that are still sick and uh, and some that are even worse than that, but uh, uh, God knows who they are, and we want to lift them up in prayer. Uh, we do want to pray, uh, continue to pray for those who have lost loved ones during this time of year. It's a very difficult time, uh, and uh, I appreciate you continue praying. Talked to Brother LaFon um, yesterday, I believe. Uh, made it home safely and sends his uh, appreciation to the church for uh, just being there for him uh, last week for the funeral for Sister LaFon. But uh, anyway, let me just encourage you during the Christmas season to reach out to those people that you know that might be struggling or people that may be alone or have just a couple people around. Just encourage them. This is a time uh, of encouragement. I talked to a lady that used to attend here that moved to another state. And uh, I just mentioned uh, to her that uh, she's going through a pretty difficult time. And I said, you know, just remember that Christmas is about the light shining in darkness. And I said, no matter what you're going through and how bad your struggle is, just remember his light still shines. And that's the message. So let's just pray. Father, tonight we are so grateful to be able to come together and on this Wednesday before Christmas. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and, and uh, together as believers uh, Lord, I pray for each and every person here. I pray for the needs that were uh, signified by the lifting of the hand. Lord, thank you that you know what they are. Lord, and you already know how you're going to help. And I just pray for those that need healing. Uh, Lord, that you would grant that. Lord, those recovering, those that are facing procedures. Lord, that you would uh, be with them uh, during that time. Lord, for those who have lost loved ones, I pray that you would come alongside as the paraclete, the one called alongside to walk with them through the deep, dark valleys of life. And I pray, Father, for... Uh, those that are traveling, that your hand of protection would be upon them, bring them home safely. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you'll be with all the ministries tonight as we celebrate and get ready to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. Be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it to you now in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. And while you're turning, there are a couple of announcements. Don't forget, Saturday, uh, we're doing our Christmas Eve communion service at 5 p.m. Uh, so come on out for uh, these services. It's an, it's an hour long, so we'll have communion uh, Saturday night, 5 o'clock. And then Sunday morning on his birthday, uh, we're actually going to have a 10 o'clock service. So no Sunday school, uh, just 10, p uh, 10 p.m. <laughs> Don't come at 10 p.m. I won't be here. Uh, at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Next Wednesday, we won't have service next midweek, no, no service next week. And then on New Year's, just the 1045. Uh, no early service or Sunday school that day. But then after that, we'll get back to whatever normal might be. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen it said that, that this year, that with Christmas being uh, on Sunday, that it won't happen again for 11 years. So think about that when you watch your child unwrap that present 
or that grandchild unwrap that present, the next time that it's on Sunday, they'll be a teenager or they'll be married and gone or whatever. I mean, it's just kind of sobering to think about. Of course, you know, I, I'd be, I, I think most of us would be okay if the trumpet sound. Amen. That's exactly what I think too, right there. Amen. Uh, anyway, let's get into our word this this uh, this this morning or this evening. I don't even know what day it is. It's been a busy week. Busy, you know, I say that it's been a busy month. It's been a busy year. Uh, but uh, I want to. Uh, tonight's lesson is a faithful, the faithful witness. So John, writing the Revelation, uh, again he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos because of his his testimony because of the uh, his faith and. It is there that he has this great revelation, and so he begins, or actually, I'm just going to read that one verse um, in the context. You can read it later, but he says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. You know, on this Wednesday before Christmas, I... uh, you know, every year you, you look at the Christmas story, and, and if you've been a Christian any length of time, you've heard the story. You know, we've, we've heard the story probably all of our lives. We can remember when we were in kids' church. We can remember in Sunday school. You know, we exchanged gifts. We had the pageants and things like that. We remember the story. And so the challenge for the church, it, it, it's not that you have to have something new and improved, but it's to it's to... Uh, continue to emphasize the story so that people aren't bored with it. Uh, how many know that people really battle boredom? And, you know, even though there's nothing boring about the message of the gospel, um, I want to look at the story through a different lens. And, and here's the lens. Jesus Christ was the most unique, he was the most unique baby ever born. Think about that for a minute. Now, now understand, he was born like everybody else, okay? Sure, he, he was born, but that's the only commonality we have with his story. He is the most unique baby to ever have been born. Now, when a baby is born, most parents have dreams of what that child's going to do. Uh, I can remember when my children were small, we had dreams of, of what we wanted to see our children do. Those dreams oftentimes centered around what type of person we want them to be. You know, we want to raise our children to be respectable uh, young men, or young man and a young lady, uh, we want them to be kind. Uh, we want them to be good citizens. Uh, you know, th- those are some of the things that, you know, that parents generally want to see of their children. Uh, you want you again. We also dream about their careers. We dream about the colleges that we would like for them to go to, or or things like that. Uh, you know, you have to understand. My heart skipped a beat when my oldest granddaughter said, "Papa, I think I want to go to Alabama for college." I'm like, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know, will it happen? I don't know, but I, I can dream. I mean, I can dream. But, but again, when a child's born, you have, you have expectations. You have dreams that you have for that child. You know, when I was young, uh, when I was a kid growing up, personal story, uh, most of my family thought that I would end up playing baseball in the big leagues. That was what I, for 12 years, I played baseball and and that was my passion, and I was without. I was good. I was a good baseball player. I had hopes and dreams. Um, I had, but obviously that didn't happen. I had a particular aunt 
that I hadn't seen in, in a very long time. Uh, and she was sure. She was one of those that was sure I was going to end up playing baseball in the big leagues. But I went into the military. I got injured my senior year in high school, went off into the military, and ended up, of course, being a pastor. And so many years later, uh, my children were small. We were pastoring here. And we go back to Alabama for a family reunion. And I was talking to her daughter, which was my cousin, and we were just kind of catching up. We hadn't seen each other. I left Alabama in 1985, and uh, we hadn't seen each other in a long time. And she said, I want to stay in touch with you. And so I gave her my business card, and her mom's standing right there. And she looked at it, and she said, you're a reverend? And uh, I, said, uh, I said, well, y yes, ma'am, I am. Now, I'm not really sure what she meant by you're a reverend? <laughs> Uh, you know, I didn't want to read between the lines there, but, but uh, you know, there was a question behind the question, but I didn't end up playing baseball, uh, obviously. And, and so uh, when Sheila and I were in Mobile a few weeks ago, uh, just kind of giving you stories because there were some expectations. Uh, when Sheila and I were in Mobile just a few weeks ago, uh, I had a, a friend message me, a childhood friend that I hadn't seen probably in 35 years, uh, had messaged me, and that's some of the joy some of the good things about modern technology, you can connect with people. It's not always a good thing. <laughs> but uh, anyway, she messaged me that her mom was in the hospital, and she said that her mom had always thought a lot of me, and she asked if I had time, if I wouldn't mind running by the hospital there in Mobile to visit with her. Uh, I, vaguely, I vaguely remember I made time, and I swung by the hospital. Uh, one afternoon, Sheila and I went by, and I went in there, and I saw her, and I vaguely remember when I walked into the room, she had this big smile on her face. She said, I know you. And I looked at her, and again, vaguely I could recall her. But then she starts telling me stories of my childhood, stories that I hadn't remembered, stories I hadn't heard before. And she said, she said I remember one time you were, we were in church, and you were acting out. Surprise, surprise, right? She, she said, I, I remember you acting out. And she said, I was going to scold you. She said, but God spoke to me and said, don't squash his energy. I have a plan for him. I'd never heard that. I'd never heard that story before, and yet here's this lady. She's since passed away. That's how critical it was. But she told me that story, and I thought, wow. Wow. I mean, the expectations. You know, sometimes, again, I, I, she said that uh, her daughter and, and her would watch us online. She would tune in and watch uh, the services online, and, and uh, she said, you know, she said, God has used you to change the world, and then she died a week later, and, and I just share that with you, because when, that, when a baby is born, we never know what that baby's going to grow up to do. We have expectations, we have dreams, uh, we have desires, but we have no idea. When, we never know when that bundle of joy grows up, the type of impact that they're going to make. We, we don't have a clue. Nor do we know the trouble they might bring, right? Nobody knows the trouble they bring. I know that's not the right one, but, <laughs> you know, even now, uh, we wonder and we pray for our children and our grandchildren, and rightly so, because we want them to grow to be godly men and women. We want them to grow to be instruments of God, his hands extended to touch a hurting world. You know, parents and grandparents have been wondering about babies since the very beginning of time. In fact, if you go back in the Old Testament, many of the parents would name their children based on the dream or goal of what they wanted that child to be. You know, that's why, um, you know, God changed. Remember uh, the name change that God did? 
Jacob. That's why, I mean, there, there's, there's dreams, you know, and, and I'm sure it was no different than Jesus, so I'm getting to my point. <laughs> I'm sure it was no different uh, with Jesus. I mentioned Sunday that after the shepherds had come to visit Mary and told her, shared all the things that the angels had uh, said to her, remember what the Bible said in Luke 2, 19, said she treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. She, she deeply reflected on the things that the angels had told her. He goes on, I mean, there was a lot to think about. Luke chapter 1, verse 33 says, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. In Luke 2, 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Luke 2, 35, A sword will pierce your own soul too. Again, these are some of the scriptures that we have early on in the, in the, in the birth of in the Christmas story of Jesus. Uh, most everybody knows Mark Lowry's Mary, did you know? Right? The, here's the last verse, okay? Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? This sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Wow, what a, what a powerful statement there. See, we... We never know how that baby's going to turn out. And Jesus turned out to be the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. But not everyone knows that, and not everyone understands or believes it. My prayer this Christmas is that people either remember or they discover who Jesus really is. Again, I, I really feel like the whole the whole theme, and I don't normally do themes on Christmas. It just Christmas is a theme in, in and of itself. But the thing that's really burdened me this this whole Christmas season is that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. To those who dwell in darkness, a great great light has shone. And 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 so my prayer this Christmas is that in the midst of all of our darkness, and by the way, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of there, there's a there's a lot of things going on in our world, a lot of things going on in our society, a lot of things going on in our personal lives. There's a lot of darkness, <coughs> bad news, difficult news, crisis, tragedy. The light still shines in all of our darkness. That is the thing. Again, we don't know what a child's going to be like, but Jesus grew up to be the Savior world. Now, in our text. John is introducing the revelation, his book, and himself. And then what John does is he goes in and gives a description of Jesus. And notice in our text, the verse, he says, Who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the rulers of the kings of the earth? So, so John gives us three statements that clearly define the true identity of that baby born in Bethlehem. Again, want to know who Jesus is? I mean, I, I, I spoke on it a couple of Wednesday nights ago. What child is this? Well, John gives us the information that we need. What child is this? He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn from the dead, and he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. So these three statements bring clarity to uh, any questions we have. So let's start with number one. Who is the faithful witness? Who is the faithful witness? Thank you, Mark. So 
when we start talking about who is the faithful witness, then the question is, can I trust him? That, that really is the question. Can, can I trust him? And, and again, this is the most basic thing of all because I truly believe that when a person gets to that place where they can trust him, then they're ready for conversion or salvation to be born again. It's got, you've got to start there. It's very basic. You know, we've all heard the name Jesus many times, but I think people really want to know. You know, among all the other religious leaders that are out there, the ones that come and go, and can I trust in him? In a world of religious charlatans and gospel carn artists, we have to start with the basic question. John says he is the faithful witness. So what is a witness? Let's, let's investigate that a little bit further. What is a witness? Well, a witness tells what he has seen and what he has heard. That's it. So if you ever witness a crime, you might be called to uh, the courthouse to be a witness. And you would be charged with telling what you saw and what you heard. That, that is a witness. A faithful witness is one whose testimony is reliable every time. One of the sad things that we have in our culture today, and, and uh, I, I think Brother Tom mentioned it a minute ago, and I thought it was so profound. We're not a post, what you say, not a post-Christian nation. We are a post-truth nation. You know, one of the things you have to worry about today is how do you define is, right? And I, and I don't mean that what, is, what, what does is mean? What is is? If you understand that reference back years ago. I mean, so we, we have a, a sitting president that will come on TV and, and flat out adamantly deny something that he knew was true. I mean, he's not the only one, obviously. I'm not, I'm not picking or throwing stones at that. I'm just simply saying that we live in a time today when witnesses are not really that reliable. They're not that reliable. You know, they're liable to change their story. If you can get to them before the courts do, you can slip them a few Benjamins. I mean, we hate to think like that, right? I know that's very cynical. <laughs> well, that's very cynical in our world, but that's the world we live in. We, learn, we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is, that, that is evil and is dark. And, and not every witness is reliable, but Jesus, John said, he is a faithful witness. He, that means his testimony is absolutely reliable every single time. See, again, John means that Jesus Christ can be relied upon to tell the truth. And when he speaks, he only speaks truth. He only speaks truth. And his words are absolute truth. First Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes, Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. What does that mean? It means he spoke truthfully. He spoke truthfully. Remember what Jesus said to, to, to when he stood before, before Pilate? John 18, 37, he said, I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Later on, he says, I am the what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I said, he is a faithful witness. Uh, you know, writing several hundred years before, uh, or 700 years ago, one commentator uh, put under the title, faithful witness, and he said it means four things. Number one, what God said, Christ has made known. Number two, what he taught without regard to the words of men. So he taught without the regard to words of men. In other words, he wasn't sharing things that he had learned from somebody else. He was speaking God's truth. 
he was teaching God's truth. Number three, he said it was he was faithful even in death. And number four, he said he will reveal the truth in the end. That's who he is. John Watson put it like this. He said, no one has yet discovered the words Jesus. I like this. Think about this. No one has ever yet discovered the words Jesus ought to have said. You ever left a conversation and said, you know what, I wish I'd have said that. No one has ever discovered a conversation or words that Jesus should have said, right? No one suggested the better word that he might have said. No action of his has shocked our moral sense. No one ha- uh, none has fallen short of the ideal. He is, full of, he is full of surprises, but they are surprises of perfection, end quote. <laughs> I like that. I mean, you look at the life of Jesus, and we don't find things he should have done. I used to make jokes all the time about, you know, Jesus, he was always on t- he was always where he needed to be when he needed to be there. He didn't he didn't look at his sundial watch, you know, uh, Apple and look at that sundial and say, Oops, I should have been in Capernaum. I'm not there. I'm running late. He never did that. He was exactly where he needed to be, saying what he needed to say. Why? Because he was a faithful witness. He spoke the truth. He spoke God's word. You see, every person has to settle this fundamental uh, issue about Jesus Christ, and that is, can I trust him? Can I trust him? Some people will answer yes, and some people will answer no. But until that issue is settled, I mean, really, there's no point in talking about anything else. So this lady that used to attend here that I was having the conversation with just, I think it was on Monday, maybe have been Tuesday. What is today? It's Wednesday. No, it would have been Monday. I don't know. I don't know. I'll get there. It was Monday. I, uh, she talked about some of the things going on, and I said, you know, at some point you just got to get to that place where you just trust. Today I made a visit to, uh, some of you remember Debbie used to, that used to sit right down front here, uh, Bersiaga. Debbie is on hospice dying of cancer, and she's living in, uh, with her sister there in Granbury, and so I went to visit with her today, and uh, she was just telling me all the things that God is doing in her life and just just growing so much in faith. And I just sat there, and I, 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 I don't even know how long I was there. I was there a while. And I came out so enlivened by her faith, even with a death sentence. I gave her three, to, three months to a year. But she had such joy. And, and just such faith. And I thought, wow. And, and it illustrates this. She got to the place where she trusts him. She absolutely trusts in him. Many years ago, Bob Harrington, who was, the, who was known as the chaplain of Bourbon Street, he and Madeline Murray O'Hare kind of got into a deal there uh, on the Phil Donahue show. I'll tell you how old it is. But I, I really like how he... How he handled this because as they were in their debate or whatever you want to call it, their brawl, <laughs> um, at, some, at some point in that, in that show, somebody in the audience asked uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare what she was going to do when Jesus returned. Now, if you don't know who Madeline Murray O'Hare is, she's a, an avowed atheist, uh, renowned atheist. And, and so here's what she said. With great confidence, she said this. It won't happen, so I don't have to worry about that, end quote. To which the chaplain of Bourbon Street, Bob Harrington, replied, here's what he said. He said, the Bible contains 
318 verses that speak the truth about the return of Jesus Christ. She's just said that she isn't that he isn't going to return. So over here you have 318 verses in the book of God, and over here you've got one one verse from the book of O'Hare. Now, who are you going to believe? I thought that's pretty good. <laughs> who are you going to believe? Who you trust? That's a key question. Who are you going to believe? Listen, there are a lot of people. That's why I say be careful about watching religious things on the Learning Channel and Discovery and the History Channel. Be very careful about uh, when they start promoting a religious thing, you know, the true story of Jesus or, or whatever. Be very careful because it's slanted really, really, really far left. I mean, it, it, it's way out there. You know, I, I've always said that God is not afraid of questions. Because I'm sure most everybody here is like me. I've had questions. You know, there's been times in my life where I've had crisis of faith, where I've had to pause and say, okay, God, I don't understand. Your Bible, the Bible says this, but this is what I'm not seeing. I mean, it, but that's, it, it's not new to us. It's all through the Bible. Gideon, Gideon, when he's greeted by, you know, by the angel of the Lord, Gideon is like, well, if God's, if God's with us, then where are all the miracles, right? I mean, he was perplexed because he's hiding, he's threshing in a wine press. What does that mean? He's underground, hiding from the enemy. I mean, they couldn't do it out. The marauders and the raiders would come in and steal their grain. So they're hiding in the wine presses to thresh out the grain. And he's greeted, mighty man of valor. And he's like, well, the Lord is with you. And he's like, well, if the Lord's with me, then where are the signs of that? We have those moments. But you know what? You always got to get to the, back to that place where I trust him. I love one of my pastor friends from years ago says faith is an acronym, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all I trust him. That's good. That's good stuff there. See, whenever a person, again, God will always stand up to scrutiny, always. He will always answer. I mean, he, he's not afraid of our questions. Whenever a person searches for truth, they will inevitably discover Jesus. His, he is truth. And when you search for truth, you can't help but find his truth. Now, those who come to a different conclusion, listen to me, are those who search with a bias to begin with. You cannot search for truth and come away not finding the truth unless you're biased against the truth. You know, the, the, the great, uh, what's, what's, the, what's the, he was uh, the journalist, um, evidence, that the, not evidence of man's verdict, the case for Christ, Lee Strobel, yes, yes. I mean, here's a guy who, who absolutely sets out to disprove all the claims of Christianity, searching for truth. He doesn't do it with a bias. He comes away. He's a, he's a, a preaching, a, a teaching preacher. No, that, that's an oxymoron. He, He's in ministry today. <laughs> if a person will come with honest scrutiny and examine the claims of Christ, his truth. Why? Because he is a faithful witness. He is the faithful witness. Number two, uh, so can I trust him? Yes, because he is the faithful witness. Number two, John says he is the firstborn from the dead. So, okay, so we begin by saying, okay, can I trust him? Now we want to know, does, God, does Christ have the power to help us? Well, then John gives us the, the next description. He is the firstborn 
from the, the dead. Notice how John calls him that. This refers, obviously, to the resurrection, okay? When he rose from the dead, he was the firstborn from the dead. Now, so what does exactly do that? What does that exactly mean? Because I know what people are saying. Well, but the Bible says there were other people, right? How many's ever heard that before? Well, there was other people raised from the dead, so Jesus can't be the firstborn from the dead. From the dead. Well, what it means is he's the first person who ever rose from the dead, never to die again. That's what that means. During his ministry, Jesus raised several. Uh, several people from the dead, including including Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. I mean, again, these were incredible miracles that revealed the power of Jesus over death. And, and again, no one could debate the miracles. In fact, the religious leaders of the day they tried to figure out how in the world they could discount. I mean, how do you how do you discount a uh, you know seeing a man stand before you who was dead now is alive? So so there was no debating the 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 miracle even though they were different. Again, every one of them was different. Um, even though these miracles were very different, uh, took a very different form from each other, they had one thing in common, and that was this. The people that Jesus raised from the dead eventually died again. That's it. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He's the firstborn from the dead, meaning he was resurrected, but he never died again. When he came out of that tomb that we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning, he rose one time for all time. There will never be another resurrection like that in that regard. When he left the grave, he left it for good. He left it for good. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in the sense that he is the first in a long line of people who will be raised from the dead and will never die again. Think about that. When the trumpet sounds, what does the Bible say? The dead in Christ rise, and then we who are alive and remain, if we are part of that group, we We'll be called up together in the clouds to meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And you know what that means? It means we won't ever experience death again. One of the things I say probably at every funeral is that when we get to that place that he's gone to prepare for us in heaven, there'll be no funeral homes. There'll not be morticians. There'll not be medical examiners. None of that will be there. Why? Because there is no dying in that place. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in this. Over the years, I have officiated many, many funerals. And, and, and so I know what it's like to stand, at, and, and, and I've experienced myself with my parents both being deceased. I know what it's like to stand at the graveside and try to say something hopeful to a family that's grieving such a profound loss. You know, it's not easy to pray when someone you love has been taken from you. I think that's why maybe the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is the last enemy because it truly is an enemy. It comes in and it robs, it robs potentiality. It robs families. It robs people. It's the last enemy. But as I stand at those services, I tell you what, in those moments I find strength in one thing and one thing alone. Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead, has conquered the grave and he's done what no mortal man has ever done. And because he lives, see, that's where, that's where my comfort comes right there, is that when I can stand at a, at a Sister LaFon being an example on, on Saturday, I can stand there and I can talk about and, and see the family grieving and mourning the loss of someone so dear to them, but we can talk about the hope of heaven. 
because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place, and if I go, I'm coming back. Because he did what no other person could do. He rose from, he's the firstborn of the dead, from the dead. Thank God that we're not left to wonder and speculate about what happens to those who, who die. You know, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul answered that question because they, they got concerned. Because they had heard, too, that, you know, the teaching, of the, the teaching of the church has always been. Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place. So they've always had this idea that Jesus is coming back. And so the Thessalonian church, they kind of started wondering because they seen all these people die off and Jesus hadn't come back. And so they're wondering, what in the world's going on? I mean, what's going to happen to my brother in Christ who's, who's died and Jesus hasn't come? And so Paul answers that. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Hey, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. That's how he describes it right there. They've fallen asleep in Jesus. What, is it, what happens, the Bible says that when a, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when, when our loved ones die, they immediately are taken to heaven. Paul said that when the rapture takes place, that that those who have gone on to heaven come back with Jesus and there is a bodily resurrection. So, listen, out, up from the grave, we're going to rise, those who have died in Christ. That spirit comes back with Jesus. The body is resurrected. They're reunited, glorified bodies, and we go to be with the Lord. It all happens because he's the firstborn from the dead. And notice what Paul said to the Thessalonians, if we believe. That's it, if we believe. It's as simple and as difficult as that. You'll never, here's the thing, you'll never convince yourself of the resurrection by camping out at a cemetery. You'll never convince yourself. If you go to a cemetery and wait for the resurrection, you might have to wait a long, 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 long time. I had not been to, so Sister LaFon was buried at George's Creek Cemetery. And I thought in my 30 years I had been to that cemetery. I, when I got out there, it didn't look that familiar, but a lot larger than what I thought. But what a beautiful, beautiful place. And, and I'm one of these guys that I've always enjoyed looking at the markers, the, the gravestones and the markers. And so I had a few minutes on Saturday when we got down to the, uh, and it's down towards Glen, if you know where George's Creek is, it, it's way out in the woods there. And, and uh, so I'm walking around this, the cemetery and I'm looking at these grave markers, and I, and I saw one from 1863. And they told me that in the other part of the cemetery, there was something much older than that. But I stood there, and I looked at that, that grave marker and that headstone, and I thought, I wonder if that thing could talk. Man, what would it say? That, you know, that's Civil War, that was Civil War time right there. I'm like, what would it say? Uh, you know, I'm just fascinated. But, but you know what? He's been in the ground, or she's been in the ground a long time. So if I go out there waiting for the resurrection, I'm going to be there a long time. But here's the thing. We have the word of the Lord, right, which overrides anything that we can see with our eyes. Our faith in the resurrection of the dead does not rest in what our eyes can see. Our faith rests in the fact that, when, that the, by the act of God, when he raised Jesus from the dead, he became the guarantee of the future resurrections. The point is this. If God can do that, he can do anything. Can he help me? Absolutely he can help you. If he can raise up Jesus, seat him at the right hand, the place of honor, and give him everything, he can help us. 
in our day-to-day existence. He's the firstborn from the dead. And number three, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, this speaks about our future, okay? So will Jesus, can I trust him? Can he help me? And will he take care of my future? And the answer is yes. John says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Think about this. Right now, we have a mayor. We have a city government. We have a county government. We have a state government. We have a national government. Okay? And they can enact laws, pass legislation through the Congress that... And, and, and again, most of us here can remember a time when we were much freer than we are right now. Uh, and, and I don't want to jump on a political soapbox, but I mean, most of us can remember, you know, we've seen the slow erosion of many, many freedoms that we used to have. I can remember as a kid things that we used to do that we can't do anymore. You know, and, and again, I don't, I don't want to jump on that. I really could. Uh, you know, I find it something wrong that you go to work to make money and you get taxed on that money, but then you go spend it on the necessities of life and you're taxed on the necessities of life with money that you've already been taxed on. Anyway, you're going to get me started. (laughs) John said he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. The the word ruler literally means the ultimate authority. So Jesus is the ultimate authority over all the governing of the earth. That's him. Now, they're great. They, most of our leaders, they, they wield great power, probably greater than what they should. Um, but as great as they are, he's greater. And as mighty as some of them are, he's mightier. Okay, right? Millions, you know, you think about America, 350 million people in our nation that answer to our federal government. Millions answer to them, but all answer to him. See, he's not merely one king among many kings. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. He rules over them all. Again, referring to this passage, John Piper, here's the way he put it like this. I quote, he said, if the president says to Jesus, how can you be ruler over me? I have my office by the election of the people of the United States, a sovereign nation, and by virtue of a constitutional inauguration and installation. He goes on and says, Jesus will say, I have my office as ruler over you by God's election and by virtue of my resurrection from the dead, my indestructible life, and my installation at God's right hand. Boom, drop the mic. (laughs) That's it. Based on your authority. And there is no higher authority. What does Hebrews say? He swears by none other than himself. There's no higher authority. See, it doesn't matter who the president is, doesn't matter who the governor is, doesn't matter who our mayor is, this statement is still true. It doesn't matter what political party that they might be associated, this statement is still true. He is still the ultimate authority of the universe. In the Old Testament, I mean, what a great example. Think about this. In the Old Testament, everybody remember Nebuchadnezzar, right? Do you know what? He thought he was sovereign, remember? He thought he was sovereign over all, but after losing his mind, and being nourished on hay, (laughs) when he came to himself, here's what he said in Daniel chapter 4. 
He said at the end of that time, what time? The time he was one, roaming around on all fours because he'd lost his mind. Because he thought he was sovereign and he knew better. God visited with him, goes around on all fours, finally comes back. Here's what he said. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Boy, maybe we need to do that in Washington. Raise your eyes. He goes on. He said, then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Wow. That's a statement from a guy who thought he was, he was, all, he was, a bag, he was all that in a bag of chips. He learned real quick. Pardon my grammar. He ain't nothing. Nothing. How about, how about the New Testament? Nero, right? Go back and Nero comes along in the New Testament. He thought the same thing. He thought he was, uh, he was ruler of the kings of the earth. He thought he held in his hands the power of life and death. One Thumbs up, man, uh, one man lived, thumbs down, the other man died. It is said that when he ordered the burning of Rome, and blamed it, he, then he blamed it on the early Christians to sour people against Christianity. He's the one that had Paul, the Apostle Paul, beheaded, thinking that he could kill the Christian movement by wiping out their leadership. But here we are 2,000 years later, 2,000 years have come and gone, and the tables have turned. We name our dogs Nero and our sons Paul. Right? He's still sovereign. Who are the rulers of the earth that John is talking about? They're the political leaders in the various spheres of life. Mayors, councilmen, chairmen, governors, congressmen, senators, all those people. That, that's who he's talking about. They are small-time kings who rule tiny realms with a mighty king that sits over them. Here's, here's what John says. He's ruler over them all. Now, I understand this world's a mess, okay? So this begs the question. If he is ruler over everything, then why do we see such chaos? See, that's where a lot of people, that's the angst for a lot of people. How in the world could God be in charge if he's a good God and all this stuff run amok that we see happening today? Again, all the evidence seems to point in the opposite direction. I mean, uh, you know, you, th you talk about the pornographers who go free, the baby killers are untouched, right? I mean, what kind of mixed up world are we living in? The politicians break the laws they write. Drug dealers make millions of money. The nations arm themselves for total destruction. When you look around, I think we could make a good case that God, nobody's in charge. Nobody's in charge. But here's the thing, it only seems that way. It only seems that way. Satan has no power except what has been granted to him by the ultimate authority. In due time and at the proper time, Here's the thing, Jesus will step back into the stage of world history. Uh, he's still involved, okay? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He's still involved in the day-to-day -day lives. He said, I'll not leave you nor forsake you, but he will make himself known. For what does is, what is the Scripture say? Every eye will see him. He'll step back in the, into this world's history. You think about it, the, hand, the, the hands that were nailed to the cross, will someday rule the world. 
And though many not, will, don't see it today, it's certain and it is true because John said he is the ruler of all the kings. He's the ruler. That's what the revelation is all about. In the meantime, right now and at this very moment, he, he still is, he is the ruler, even though it doesn't appear like. And maybe your life is chaos. This is what I'm speaking to right now is that maybe your life is chaos and you wonder, okay, I, I trust God and I know that he has the power to help me, but what about my future? Well, this is it right here. He's the ruler over it all. He's the, he alone is the sovereign of the universe. By him, listen to this, all the rulers today, by him they reign. And by him they are restrained. He raises up and he brings down. By him they will all be judged. Again, I, I know sometimes it's hard to find comfort in that. But that's the truth of what the scriptures teach. Will Jesus take care of my future? Absolutely he will because he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. What does that mean? It means you're in good hands. Not with all state. You're in good hands. Because you're in the hands of the ruler, the sovereign of all the universe. But I want you to think about this as, we, as I wrap this up. On that first Christmas night in Bethlehem, I promise you, it didn't look like things were in control. They travel a long distance, get to this crowded place, have no room, born in a stable, put in a feeding trough. I mean, a casual onlooker to this event would suspect that, uh, again, I said it Sunday, if we were scripting this, we would not script it the way it happened. If a cab casual observer would looking, were looking at this story, I mean, we would, we, we would never expect for such a, a, cata a, not a cataclysmic, but a, such an important event happen in such a tiny village in a remote corner in the Roman Empire. I mean, because at that time in, that, in, in history, the prospects for a little baby born like Jesus was were not good. Their life expectancy for most children born weren't, weren't very good at all. And yet, what child is this? Can I trust him? Can he help me? And will he take care of my future? As I close, you can never know how a baby turns out. Jesus came and surprised those who were living in darkness. And you know what he's doing? 2,000 years later, he's still surprising people who are living in darkness. I love to see the light come on for people. I love to see people that all of a sudden have this revelation of Jesus and recognize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And then, boom, there it is. You know that he's still working. You see that happen. He's still surprising people today. 2,000 years later, his light is still invading their darkness and joy is still filling their hearts. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is the answer to life's most intriguing questions. Psalm, the psalmist says in Psalm 20, some people trust in chariots, some trust in chariots, and some trust in horses. But what did he say? We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. It all comes down to that. And, and listen, friend, we need him. <laughs> Years ago in the Brownsville Revival, Linda Cooley used to sing a song, I Need You More. Just a simple chorus. But wow, millions of people during that span from 95 to 
early 2000s. I need you more. More than yesterday, I need you more. More than words can say, I need you more. You know what? You fast forward from that event to where we are today, and it is, it is still true today. We need him more than we've ever known. And this truth is worth repeating. We are in good hands when we're in his hands. And those hands rule the universe. That's it. So how do I close tonight? Simply this. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Place your hands in his strong hands, and you'll never be disappointed. Would you stand with me tonight? A faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, ruler over all the kings of the earth. We're in good hands when we're in his hands. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? And I'm just simply going to close this way. Maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I just, I, I think I've said it every Wednesday night, but I, I want his light to shine in my, in my life. Maybe there's some areas of your life that are dark. You say, Pastor, I want, I, want, I want his light to shine in my darkness. I want his light to shine through me into the darkness around me. I want that revelation of Jesus. See, that's my personal prayer this, this Christmas time is, Lord, let me, let me see you afresh and anew. You know, it's so easy to just kind of go through the motions and, you know, we've been doing it a long time and, you know, it's easy to lock into autopilot. See, we get, in a, we get in a vehicle on a long trip, and the first thing we want to do is set cruise control because it's convenient and comfortable. But that's not how we live a vibrant Christian life. We don't set autopilot. Every day I'll need a revelation. Every day, Lord, be fresh. If that's you tonight, just say, Pastor, pray for me. Just slip in right, right back down. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you tonight as well. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful story, the Christmas story. Lord, there's so many nuances to this story that, you know, we could probably spend another 57 years of my life unpacking each and every facet of this wonderful story. Lord, but suffice it to say that you're more than enough. You're more than enough for right now, for these days, for these times. I pray for every hand that went up today or tonight, those that are online tonight. Lord, I pray that you would be their light, that light that shines in their darkness, that light that illuminates through them, the darkness around them. Lord, I pray that this Christmas season that we see you with fresh eyes and fresh understanding, with a fresh heart. Lord, may we never attempt to live our spiritual life on autopilot, but Lord, let us daily draw near to you so that you could draw near to us. Lord, and I pray as we go home tonight and we prepare, Lord, and some will be able to be here Saturday, some Sunday, some maybe not at all, but Lord, I pray that no matter where we are, that we understand that as we celebrate your birth, it is, a, it is truly joy to the world. It is still good tidings of great joy to all people. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to encapsulate that in, into who we are in our celebration this, this weekend. Now, I ask you to go with us, Lord, as the cold weather comes in tomorrow and Friday. Keep us safe. Keep our loved ones safe. Keep those 
Lord, the elderly and those shut in, keep them safe, I pray. Lord, help us to be rest, rested well and ready for shining our light wherever we might go. I ask you to go with us now. Give us a great rest of the week in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for being with us online. Look forward to seeing you next time. I love you very much. Merry Christmas, and I look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.